0: Welcome back to Audio Diaspora. It's a series of conversations with creators around the world who are leaning into their roots to create new spaces for all of us. I'm your host, Christabel Nsia Buedi. On today's show, I am passing the mic to Washington. No, I'm passing the mic to Seattle. We're going to keep that in. We're passing the mic to Seattle. We're speaking with Paula Boggs. She is, she's so many things, um, but she is part of the Paula Boggs Band is that create Paul? Is that correct, Paula? Yes, it is. Uh, amazing. Tell us about the, the 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 Paula Boggs Band. Should I call it Paula Boggs Band or the Paula Boggs Band? First of all, call
1: call it Paula Boggs Band. And our band has been around for sixteen years now, in one form or the other, and we do a. Style of music we call Seattle brood soul grass
0: <laughs> I'm laughing for a reason <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um so I feel like we're burying the lead, and you kind of led us into there because your your life has taken you everywhere, but before we kind of jump into it, I just my friends for those of you who are listening, I just want to say paula when i when I was doing my research on you and and listening to your your work, the things that jumped out at me were the words context bravery firsts failure (laughs) and whoever's Mm -hmm. listening is going to go failure what but i'll start with context first there's this book that i don't know if you read it it's called out of context by walter mosley it's a a tiny the really thin book but i feel like it kind of it really reoriented helped me understand who i was in the world um as somebody who Mm. was born in scotland Raised in England, have got uh, considers herself Ghanaian, and at that point had um, lived in Barbados for a year, and then had landed in the U.S. And I was always grappling with this question of who am I, <laughs> right? Like, what does this look like? There's no one else like me, and that was a very scary thing because there's no one like anyone else. And as I'm listening to you, you are African American, um, and you you spent part of your childhood in Germany. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to tell your story, essentially. I'd love it, love to hear it from you. But as I was listening, all I kept on thinking was you understood your sense of self. And there were points where you were introduced to parts of your culture by stepping out of your own context. Would that, does mm. that resonate with you? It, it resonates deeply
1: with me. And, you know, later on in... In the podcast, I may share with you my UK story.
0: Oh, feel free to do so. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So tell tell me tell me how it it resonates deeply. I'd like to hear more about that because I think that's part of what the show does is really about. You know, connecting all facets of ourselves, especially from an identity perspective as global black indiv- global black people, what does that look like? You know, we have traveled for various reasons, and I think a lot of people grapple with this idea of who am I, what is it. So, I'd love to kind of like hear hear part of that backstory as well, because I also think it probably informs a lot of the work that you you did moving forward in you know all the various forms as a lawyer and now as a as a singer as well. Yes, well, I think the
1: best way uh, to, to start with describing and sharing who I am is giving you a little bit of what I've learned recently from my sister's DNA test. And that is my DNA makeup, mm-hmm. racially and ethnically. It informs how I look, but it also I think informs some of the innate qualities that make me me. So in a nutshell, I'm about 70% African
0: mm-hmm.
1: and 30% something else. Mm-hmm. And that uh some something else is a combination of British. <laughs> North <laughs> Northern European, uh, surprise, surprise, mm-hmm. uh, Native American, uh, and and some other stuff thrown in for good measure. But within the African, a percentage of that is not West African, but North African, mm. which is unusual mm-hmm. in the African di- diaspora. Uh, I I actually have. Uh, Sardinian in me, and so I took out a map. I literally took out a map, and you can draw a line straight from Sardinia to Nigeria's coast. Wow! Over the you know over the course of a thousand years, let's say, you know that can only be traversed by a courageous water crossing, you know, nomadic people, Mm -hmm. you know, to get from point A to point B. And I think that is in part informing (laughs) the me in me, right? Because there's a part of me that can not be uh, defined easily. My brother put it well. He said, and one time he was introducing me and he said, Here's the thing you need to know about Paula. No matter how hard you try to put her in a box, she's she's gonna find a way out of it. <laughs> You're you gonna bust cannot. out of it regardless. <laughs> every every single time. And um and I think there's something to literally there being nomad within me, mm. you know, that North African, you know, desert crossing seafaring part of me that uh, informs perhaps many of the life choices that I've made
0: and and how I make them. That makes sense. As soon as she said no, but I said that, you know what? That is the through line actually, because uh, we, listeners we've been alluding to it, we've been dancing around it, but essentially I was laughing because I was like, in some context, I might be burying the lead because you're a lawyer right as well so you you were the executive <laughs> yes. vice president um and general counsel um and um, um general uh, general counsel of law and corporate affairs at starbucks which can i tell you it made me chuckle which is why when you said seattle brewed uh bluegrass i was just like mm-hmm. i see what she did there <laughs> i see what she did <laughs> yes but you it's know, a nod right exactly i was like got it as a woman of words i was like very nice you know you've been in the military and we're speaking on on veterans day so thank you for your service um you've you've you worked in the reagan administration but now and this is the main reason why we're talking today you're a singer <laughs> leader of a band so if that's not a nomad in the truest sense of the word, in terms of exploring everything, I don't know what is, quite frankly. Um, so what, aside from your DNA, do you think inspired this nomad in you? Before you knew that you had, you know, this, you, you had your ancestors physically traveled from place to place and you did, too, through your family. What is it about you that that gives you that is it Wonderlust? I don't know if that's what it is, but you're clearly very deeply curious from a, a cultural perspective in terms of exploring or maybe just doing stuff. That's what I get from you.
1: I think I stand on, in fact, I know, mm. I stand on the shoulders of those who came before me. And there's a, there's a lot of nomad, out-of-the-box stuff in my ancestry. <laughs> For example, we're, yeah, we're speaking today on Veterans Day. My family, my black family, has fought uh, and worn the uniform of the United States of America since the Civil War mm. when my ancestor John R. Boggs escaped a Pickens, South Carolina Plantation, and somehow I can't even fathom how he did this. He traveled 800 miles west to join uh, the Union Army, um, the 1st Regiment in Arkansas. And to do that, th- this man had to, I mean, he, he went through several Confederate states, uh, he went through Indian country through Indian nations that were sympathetic to the Confederacy. He crossed rivers Mm, and mm, mm. (laughs) mountains and all of this, you know, for this ideal Mm. of the United States of America, for freedom. Mm. He did this in 1862, so before the Emancipation Proclamation. And, you know, of course, he's an escaped slave, so I'm sure they had... Hunters, you know, chasing after him, too, Mm. with a bounty on his head. Despite all of that, that's what he did. And he served honorably for the Union. Uh, My ancestry is chock full of those kinds of stories where, you know, my, my grandparents, they escaped. Jim Crow, Georgia for a better life in Washington, D.C. And when they got there, they if they had five bucks, they had five bucks. But they somehow figured out how to live and raise my mother. And by the time my my grandfather died, he owned four houses and a couple businesses, you know. And so yeah this is this is what i'm literally made of and so right now i'm i'm writing a memoir and it's it's called stereoscope a meditation on race in america mm-hmm. and i i use the metaphor of stereoscope because my father was my late father was a scientist, he was a biologist, yeah. and the stereoscope was an instrument that he used. And literally a stereoscope takes disparate images and fuses them into one in three dimension, right? Wow. And and so I thought, what better metaphor for telling my story through the lens of race?
0: Mm. <laughs> I need a minute. Yeah, that's that's really, really, really powerful. And I feel like you do that through your work. You know, you 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 lead a folk jazz band. It's a multiracial band that explores roots instruments, right? Like the banjo yeah. and and the ukulele, which have roots in the African continent, but we actually don't associate them with the African continent, especially not the banjo. When you think about it, we think about, we associate the banjo and the ukulele with the American South, but it's typically with, with white America. Um, and I, my, my understanding of that actually shifted when um, as a, I was working on a show um, and I was introduced to Rhiannon Giddens and yes. her work Blew my mind, and and I, I hope you 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 um, take this in the way that it's intended. A lot of what you're doing, and, and as I understand it, reminds me of the work that she's doing, as well. Just in terms of that exploration, as well. And, and as I'm listening to you, you know, talk about your family's history and the exploration, the one thing that came to mind was again, this is history that we don't know about, and you're connecting your, you know, you're sharing that with us on the show. Um, but that exploration of the banjo and those roots is another version of that. Can you tell us, you know, as a lawyer and someone who works in very high high places, how you how you moved to from that and you decided I'm going to start. I'm I'm going to start a band. It's not I'm sure that's not how it works. How did you come to this? And tell us if you can tell us through if you could tell us that through your decision to explore the ukulele, the banjo, and, and all of that. I'd love to hear more about that.
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm very happy uh, to to share what I can mm. with your listeners. Life is, at least in my experience, and the people I know and care about, is rarely a straight line, <laughs> and mine is is a, an amazing example of the crooked. Line and part of what makes it crooked is no matter how much we know what the next day will bring, we don't. We <laughs> we absolutely don't. And um, so many times in my life and music for me and my return to music was like that. I had started playing guitar. And writing music at age 10.
0: Mm, I fell okay. in
1: love. I, I fell in love with the guitar. I was a black Catholic kid in the segregated South at a time when folk music was emerging in the Catholic Church. Uh, but my dad was Catholic, my mom was African Methodist Episcopal. So as mm. a little kid, I would toggle between those very different different. traditions, but that was my normal. Mm -hmm. And the music coming from each of them was also my normal. The music being played in the Catholic church back then, the folk music really captured me, inspiring me to want to play the guitar, which my parents allowed me to do after some advocacy on my <laughs> part, uh, and um, and and that was that. I started writing songs. You know, there are people who know me from elementary school and junior high. By then, we're in Europe, living in Germany and and Italy. We left the South for Europe um, when I was thirteen. They remember me. With the guitar, you know, meet Paula and guitar are things that people who knew me then recall. And like a lot of people, as I got older, this music thing became less prominent mm-hmm. in my life. Right. Uh, in college, you know, in college, I was I was still playing. I was still writing music and I would do, you know, an open mic here and there. There was a coffee house not far from campus. I performed there from time to time, but it certainly wasn't as much um, as when I was in high school. And then when I went to law school, it was even less, so much so that really the only performance outlet I had as a law student was, I was still Catholic then, so on Sundays, I play guitar for mass as part of a Catholic mass. And so, mm. um, you know, that was pretty much what I did through my my 20s. And as I, you know, was approaching the end of my 20s, leaving the military, uh, I, I was still playing, but <laughs> Honestly, it was becoming less and less and less, so much so that by the time I left the Catholic Church in my early thirties, I was done. Mm. I thought you know guitar and writing music and, and all of that was something i quote used to do close quote, <laughs> you know, but you know life is is funny, uh and it it threw me for a loop maybe 15 years later, by, by then I'm Starbucks, top lawyer. You know, I'm in a, an incredibly demanding job, mm. um, a job I love, but something way unexpected happened. And that was the, the wife of my youngest brother, my sister-in-law died in a, in a car crash, oh leaving, uh, a two-year-old and, my brother, it, it was the most horrific thing. You know, a van was hit by a truck. Six, six people were in the van. All six were related. Three of them died. And uh, the, the rest were injured, though. The least injured was the two-year-old, uh, my niece, Jada, who my wife and I ultimately ended up raising. Mm-hmm. But that whole period was dark. For me, so much so that my my spouse encouraged me to pick up my guitar as a way to grieve, mm. which at first I was reluctant to do, but uh, she didn't give up on me, and so within a relatively short period of time, I was playing guitar again for that reason. Mm. But as soon as I picked it back up, I was inspired to write again too, and lucky me, I wasn't expecting this either, but over Sunday coffee, one day I saw an ad for a one-year songwriters course offered by the University of Washington here in Seattle. And my first reaction was, oh, I don't have time for that. But yet again, my my spouse said, no, you can make time for that. It's once a week for three hours. And I did, I, I figured out a way to do it. I, was, I auditioned for it. For the first time in my life, I was in a community of songwriters, there were 15 of us. And I, I bonded very closely with my fellow students, learned a lot from my teachers. And at the end of that year, one of those teachers pulled me aside and, and said, you know, Paula, I think you have something with this songwriting and what a shame it would be if you didn't keep going. Now, I I didn't know what keep going meant mm-hmm. in uh, 2006. But uh, what it came to mean that that next year was I did I put a stake in the ground to try to do one open mic a month which i did oh my and
0: gosh. during
1: <laughs> <laughs> which i did and um and during that year i met two of the people who still play with paula Boggs' band
0: wow do you feel like um first of all thank you spouse Thank you, wife. (laughs) Right? Okay. All right. Yeah. So, first of all, that do you feel like um, the guitar? I have so many questions around the guitar because, because, okay, let me start with the first one, which is because it was so prevalent in your your youth, and you, you, I don't know if you, you, you told us the story. it, It sounds like you kind of, sort of drifted away, but ultimately you put it down, and you, you, you put the guitar away. Were there any? did you feel like it had an association with the church? Cause you left the church. And so was there kind of like, eh, no, number one, that'd be my first question. Mm-hmm. Did you have I any think... associations around that? And did that add to the resistance essentially subconsciously even?
1: That is an excellent question. And I, I really don't know if mm-hmm. there was a, you know, a, you know, a subconscious, mm-hmm. you know, agenda, Underway. What what I do know is, you know, by the time I left the Catholic Church, and I left the Catholic Church because of what I call the bedroom issues, mm-hmm. its, its position on on reproductive choice, its position on on women priests, its position on on the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those issues uh, inspired me to leave the church, but. What the church did for me, um, uh, well, among the things it did for me, was it provided an outlet for me to perform music. So uh-huh. I was I was playing. You know, I had a uh, a regiment of playing every Sunday right. for a folk mass, yes. and so that meant I was practicing. I was in a community of people, the choir. I you know, I would often write music mm. for you know, the the folk choir to sing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So so long as I was still Catholic, even if I wasn't performing anywhere else, which I wasn't by then, I still had that. But once I left the church, I no longer had that artistic outlet. Yeah. Yeah. either
0: so you had the practice you were practicing it in 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 your early years and you didn't realize that's what you were doing right you were exercising that muscle and then when you came back to it again shout out to the wife um for yeah, <laughs> for, for getting you there do you feel like the guitar saved your life maybe because it was it was such a dark time in your life and i i can i would imagine it'd be difficult for you to kind of pick this thing up again you know, but then immediately, you know, did, did it save your life? And you've kind of alluded to it feels like it, it opened up so much for you because, you know, at the start, I was half teasing you about being a lawyer. But really, I'm like, oh, she was a musician. She was a musician, musician lawyer. You did what everyone else does, which is I need a job. You know, i got to do these things. Right. But um, you're a musician. That's who you are. Right. Not even what you are. Yes. That's who you are.
1: So did it that's save your I life am. when you
0: picked it up? It.
1: It really saved my life, but perhaps not in the way you're thinking. It, mm. it, it, didn't, save, it didn't save my life so much in the sense that in, in terms of, wow, without music, I would be drowning, right? right? But, but it, it amplified mm. my life in ways wholly unimaginable. Before I returned to the the guitar, I I live a life now which I could not imagine before I returned to the guitar. So in that way, yeah, mm. it did it did uh, save my my life in the sense that it expanded my life and amplified my life and made my life complete in a way that simply was not possible with me being a lawyer
0: yeah i mean i laugh because i'm like yeah i understand but but also but also in a very fundamental way yeah check out audio diaspora we're online at yeah, you guessed it, audiodiaspora.com. That is all one word, all lowercase. Audiodiaspora.com. Let's listen to the rest of the show. So you so yeah. you start, you you, the, you get get back to the guitar, you 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 know, you take this, I'm gonna call it course, um, and then you find members of mm-hmm. your band, and then you start exploring. You know all of these other inst- instruments what inspired you all to do that was it because you were playing different instruments and these are all string instruments as well right i played the guitar yes. for like 3 years i was alright i did not have the same passion as you clearly um probably not the talent either but um you know like how did you get to exploring these these instruments these very very american instruments with deep roots in in you know the diaspora
1: yes so like like a lot of a lot of things, or at least in, in my life journey, it's it's not the case I had everything figured out right. in, you know, 2007, 2008. Um, and, and some of that was based on where I was musically, but honestly, part of it was influenced greatly by the other members of the band. So when Polobod's band first started performing, so 2008, the members of the band besides me were very um, jazz leaning. Uh. Okay. You know, that's how they had come up. And, you know, that was kind of the, uh, you know, the the genre they had grown up in. Uh, And so as we played together, yeah, uh, you know, my music had some jazz leanings, but I think it became more jazz and more blues because of the people who were making music with me, Mm -hmm. right? Over time, you know, so we've been, you know, performing since 2008. Over time, the members of Paula Boggs Band have skewed more to Roots Americana. Okay. Uh, And, and that has influenced me Mm. to, you know, how I write what tools we have in our musical toolkit to, you know, create music and perform it over the past Five years, but, you know. Whether you're talking about our drummer, who is conservatory trained and is one of the most nuanced drummers you'll ever come across, to um, our keyboard is/slash accordion player, who also is conservatory trained, or our our bass our bassist who is also conservatory trained. <laughs> um, you know, you, the, there are these people who really know music, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and even, uh, you know, another band member who is not conservatory trained, but plays, you know, a, a k- kitchen sink of instruments, including, you know, the banjo, the mandolin, the harmonica. Uh, I mean... Guitar, lap steel—the list is very long on what Darren plays, and um, and so you know, instrument the the instrumentality of our band, you know, has been influenced by that. Now, at the same time, I've been you know from afar, I've been mentored by people like Rhiannon Giddens, and mm. and, and and you know. Don Don Flemons and so on. These people who have done a tremendous amount of research on Black music Mm -hmm. and the the, uh, uh, appropriation of Black instruments and Black music. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've been inspired by the the knowledge people like Gittins and Flemons and others have put into the public conversation. I have been inspired by that and, and starting with them, I've done my own research. You know, we have resources here in the United States, like the Smithsonian, Right, both ways has a tremendous amount of information, of music, writings, uh, film even, where if you want to understand, in my view, American music, you can't understand American music without understanding Black music. And so I have been incredibly, um, inspired by that, and it has influenced not just the sound, of Paula Blake's band, but lyrically, what we sing about mm-hmm. on you know this last album, for example, there is literally a song about m- my ancestor. It's a true story. King Brewster King mm-hmm. is you know is what it's called, and I can remember talking to a um, a, a reporter who writes in the in the country music genre. And, uh, what he said to me was, he said, well, he said, you were,
0: uh, you didn't pull any punches. No, you did not. That people li- listen to that oh, song. Yeah. People, you understand <laughs> you really did not, you know, and, and he said,
1: I mean, you weren't, you weren't rude about it, but <laughs> you were very direct. He said, he, you were very direct in your lyricism of, of, you know, in telling this story. And I said, absolutely, 100%. Right. Because to sugarcoat it, to do anything less than what I did or at least was trying to do would dishonor my ancestor and his struggle, his story. And so it it is what it is. And and with that song, I had the great fortune of partnering with Don Flemons, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: who, um, when he first, he hadn't even heard the music. He just saw the lyrics. I shared the lyrics with him. And he said, Paula, I want to be part of this. You've written poetry in every line of this song. I was so honored by that. And so, you know, on the recorded version of King Brewster, Don Flemons is co-singing it with me and you know i think it really has um it 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 moves people it moves people of all races Mm -hmm. uh it you know and particularly now because when we perform it it's not dom singing with us it's it's uh darren lucas of our band who is jewish american white caucasian Mm -hmm. and and, and so in some ways
0: it makes it all the more powerful because yeah, the visual of the lines who sing yes. the lines, is like, oh wait, it's all of it. yes. again, people listen to the song. You'll understand what I'm saying. It's it's like, wait a minute. Oh, okay. It's almost like it's happening in your face because of what you're, yes. you're singing about. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes.
1: And, and, you know, Darren has his, you know, cowboy hat on or uh, his
0: fedora and he's singing those lyrics. He's really driving at home, isn't he? He doesn't want anyone to feel comfortable.
1: (laughs) He's he's, he is driving at home. And so no matter what, who you are in the audience, this, this experience, and then we, we intentionally, even more so than, on the recorded version of the song, when we perform it live, we we end with this very um, dissonant four part harmony. Oh my god! And people and people are it it, it it makes and people don't know if the song is over. They're just they, they they're stunned. And I've talked to people after, and I've I've now come to this thing. Where I say you can clap now, no. <laughs> because people know because no going to clap that. <laughs> people, <laughs> I mean, people—they're get... people, stunned. They're, I mean, literally, it happens every single time now.
0: An know, audience, people,
1: does the audience? audience go?
0: Yay!
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're, like, they're like, they're like. People are like they don't know what to do, <laughs> and you can see it from the stage. You can see that people are. I mean they they're like they're stunned by what they've just experienced it's the only song in our whole repertoire that where that happens but it
0: happens every time we're just where, messing people up left right and center just yeah, bodies on do. the floor we,
1: you know and it's 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 the most amazing example of how music matters yeah. music people can receive And, and, and really absorb a lot of stuff through music that they Mm -hmm. would not take the time or have the inclination Mm -hmm. to, to listen Mm -hmm. to in spoken
0: word. Yeah. I'm going to say we can't, uh, well, we'll, we will link to the song so that people know what we're talking about. Um, I'm not sure that we can include it because obviously copyright and stuff like that, but we will link to the song. People, I really urge you to listen to it. So you understand why I was, why we are Kikiing and I was laughing and chuckling because it's very, very intense. Um, But yes, the power of song. Did you have to do research about your, because you know a lot about your family history already was, was this one of those cases where your songwriting meant that you had to delve back, you had to find out more about your history in order to bring this forward. Or is this something you already knew?
1: I did not know it. And but for the pandemic and isolation, mm. <laughs> a lot of time on uh, my hands and on my sister's hands, my sister did the lion's share of research on King Brewster. And so, you know, I stole from her knowledge base shame, shamelessly <laughs> and then did, you know, some additional work on my own, but, you know, one of the most striking things about the King Brewster story, and it gets back to our earlier conversation around straight lines Mm -hmm. and life not being that way. So, you know, this, this ancestor, King Brewster, you know, literally, you know, the minute he could, he registered to vote. You know, he was, I have seen the voter rolls out of Alabama for 1867, and he's a registered voter. You know, he did all the things we say good Americans should do. He registered to vote. He obtained property. He worked that property. And then, you know, you have this very short period of, Reconstruction. And he's doing all of those things during Reconstruction, immediately after the Civil War, only to run into the brick wall of Jim Crow. And mm-hmm. and and so his vote was taken away from him. His property was taken away from him. And, you know, most Americans don't understand that. You know, when they say, well, why don't, you know, Black people pull themselves up by the boot, bootstraps or, you know, that kind of narrative mm-hmm. well the response to that is well we tried that
0: <laughs> um
1: you know and we, Did we were work. doing that yeah you know and then you know like a whack um as we were doing that and climbing out of the abyss of slavery you slammed us hard
0: you slammed us hard uh mm-hmm.
1: You know, and you know, in 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 you know, the slam still continues in in you know other you know veily disguised ways, sometimes not veiled at all. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and and some of us, I'm an example of that. Despite all of that, have been able to escape it. But people like me, who look like me, are in the minority. Mm-hmm.
0: What is we're running? I, I could talk to you for another few hours, but I'm going to respect your time. So I have two more questions, which is what is the one thing you want your listeners to take away from your body of work?
1: Yes. So, you know, we live in an era where so much of what we call music is pretty cookie cutter, right? you know it's pretty formulaic right and 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 people uh, you know a lot of people their ear will get accustomed to the banal <laughs> at the end of the day so so what i hope for this music is that you know when when people see us perform they're seeing real people playing real stuff music it is real, you know. They can see. I mean, they, they can see the the agony the fiddler has on his face as he's hitting the highest note. Uh, like what happened back, you know, in in San Francisco a few days ago. I've watched the video and I'm like, oh my god, you can you can see it. You can you can see the um, emotion of of my lyric through how I deliver it. Mm -hmm. You know, you can hear how the harmonies play a role in storytelling in our music. And, you know, you know, it's, it sounds a little, you know, smug, but, you know, we try to make music that matters, right? Music that, you know, Someone asked me recently, well, well, how do you gauge success? And yes, we look at the social media numbers and all of that, you know, the traditional things, how much we're making in merch. But we also measure success by how those who hear us respond to us. And, you know, there's no greater gift than when someone comes up to us after a show and says, I feel better now than I did when I walked through the door.
0: Mm. Mm. Wow, wow. Um, and then we've we've and we've touched on this already. And I definitely want my listeners to to take some of this away. The banjo, again, I said at the start, not traditionally known as a as a quote unquote African or even black instrument, right? What do you want people to understand and know about that? We've touched a, a little bit on it, you know, throughout the conversation, but where do, where do we begin to understand not just the roots, but it, but our, our collective connection with this string instrument?
1: The ukulele yes. and the so, banjo.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, Paula Boggs band
1: y- using the banjo has, has a couple different, purposes. One is obviously it, it it enhances the musicality of what we do and it has become you know a signature sound in you know the music we create. But there's also a you know subversive reason. I love um, subversive. I love it. Yeah for for you know our our you know our showcasing and making banjo so prominent. And that is this, there is a lot of music in the United States that is, you know, considered quote white music, mm-hmm. be it, you know, country, bluegrass, rock. folk even mm-hmm. right. rock, And, and it, the, the truth of the matter is it, and, and, and I, don't think this is an overstatement. <laughs> there would be no American popular music without the black story, the black experience, the black blood sweat tears talent and why do I say that because for for those who were brought here by way of chattel slavery
0: mm-hmm.
1: mostly from west africa but other places too music wasn't a nice to have it, have it wasn't a nice to have thing music was survival music was communication literally slave owners banned drums from the enslaved, literally. Mm-hmm. literally because they, they feared Africans would, would be able to communicate with each other subversively right. uh, through the use of drum. And so they banned them. And so part of the emergence of the banjo was it was a permitted instrument under slavery, but it also has percussive qualities. Yeah, it does. So, so you could, you know, the the, the whole style of banjo playing called clawhammer is a very percussive style of banjo playing, and that was that was survival. Hmm. It, it wasn't entertaining. The, the you know the enslaved would entertain the white people. Right. And in their, you know, in, in, you know, secondarily they would entertain each other because music would lift a spirit that otherwise was crushed in the ground. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but it was emblematic of really African American ingenuity in, in, in the wake of, you know, a society that was saying you can't do this you won't do this you're you're only this to through ingenuity mm-hmm. use tools like the banjo to keep swinging
0: mm. all right so now sorry i have to ask these questions what is what is the banjo's ancestor what's the banjo's african ancestor cuz when i listen to the banjo and i think about it and i feel like when you listen to any string instrument i think of them as percussive anyway but that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. what's the banjo's ancestor yes it's a, it's an instrument that is found um throughout west africa is it the kora um but yes yes i thought so i was like it feels it sounds to me like the kora yes okay Okay. Yes, absolutely. All right. And so then my final question, because I want people to go and check it out. Who should we be listening to? Who are these banjo and folk players that we can check out and that maybe I can interview moving forward, but I want to listen to them first. Who should I listen to?
1: Yes. Well, you know, the good news for your listeners is there has over the past, even, you know, five to 10 years, there's been a renaissance of Black musicians embracing this kind of music, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and uh, you know, some of the best uh, include uh, Allison Russell. Uh, Jake uh, Blunt is an amazing fiddler and banjo player. Uh, there is a young uh, African American man named uh, Trey Wellington. Mm. Who, who is a virtuoso on banjo? I mean wow. this this dude. What his fingers do up and down <laughs> the fretboard will just cause your head to spin. Uh, so those are those are some of the people. Um, Kaya Cater is a uh, young, I think, um, Haitian slash American who has done a lot of deep research on the history of black roots music. And she performs beautifully. And of course, Paula Weissman. I was going to say, did. I was just like, um, you didn't start. <laughs> and
0: of course us. And of course us. Okay. You know, you're going to, you know, I'm going to end with, with, you have you to. Know, us, right? Good save. It was an excellent save. Excellent save. Excellent. <laughs> I'm going to check all of those guys out. Paula, from Paula Boggs Band. Thank you so much for the education on the music, for um, sharing your story with us and really like helping me and, and whoever else is listening, make those connections and just finding out more who you are. You really are a stereoscope. I like that title. Like in all the sets, I'm like, she, yep, you're pulling all the things together and that ends up being you. Thank you so much for your time. I hope you will come back on the show, and let me ask you even more nerdy questions about music <laughs> and and the yes, power Christabel. and the power of, of storytelling and music.
1: I I hope you will have have me back, Christabel. We I'm in the process of writing music for a fifth studio album. We will uh, record it in May mm-hmm. of 2024.
0: So we'll have more to talk about. Excellent. Come, let us know when it's ready. And I'd love to c- come perform for us. I would love that. I see that in the future. I yes. Would love that. We would love to do that too. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on Audio Diaspora. If you want to follow what I am up to in the world of audio and storytelling, you can follow me and the show at audio diaspora on x formerly known as twitter you can also visit us on our website we are at audiodiaspora.com i did not produce this show alone the team includes eugene Kidd, cerise small and larissa witcher thank you so much for listening and we'll catch up next time yeah bye-bye audio diaspora is a production of my lens media